Welcome to your podcast, Leadership is Tricky, where we'll tackle various topics, challenges, and experiences as it relates to your investment in leadership. So, let's design success together. Now your hosts. Hey folks, Eric Ocasio here with Leadership is Tricky, so welcome back. Um, It's been about two weeks since we posted our last episode um, because we were uh, saving time for our special guest that we have today. Um, So I'm going to call him Neil. Uh, for the sake of this, uh, but uh, we have Neil Katad on with us. How you doing, sir? Hey, it's good to see you. Yeah, so uh, Colonel Katad, uh, you know, he works for the U.S. Army. Um, but, you know, the thoughts that we we talk about today are, you know, those are his own. Um, I also work within the organization with him as well. And as we have um, talked about in the last few episodes, we've been talking a lot about leading through crisis, you know, life after COVID-19, kind of how we're dealing with um, emotions and competencies within this crisis as leaders. I wanted to get his perspective because he's been in the thick of it, you know, leading a large organization that is uh, distributed uh, throughout the uh, throughout Europe and and, uh, different countries. And, you know, he's done an amazing job working through that. But we want to walk through kind of his thought process through the crisis and managing folks and then also doing retrospective to see, you know, how he's dealing with it and get a sense of, um, you know, what are the things that weigh, weigh on him heavily? So, sir, welcome. Um, and, uh, yeah. So why don't you tell the audience a little bit about yourself? Hi, thanks. Um, I have been in the army for 26 years. This is pretty much what I've done my whole adult life. I value education greatly. Uh, as people who know me know, I just keep going to school and get more degrees. I like leading teams and helping people figure out how they can be the best, whatever it is that they are. And I'm a person of deep faith and that, that uh, faith does guide my, uh, my thought processes in some of the decisions I, I make. We have good days and bad days. So some days it may be more prevalent that you see all those uh, positives and some days, you know, we all just have where we woke up on the wrong side of the bed, but try to be consistent in that as best as possible. So that's a little bit about me. Um, I'm um, a brigade commander uh, here in Europe uh, and our organization spans 22 countries and uh, all kinds of various different folks, very diverse, big and geographically spread out, spread out workforce. So that's uh, a little bit where I'm coming from, and I look forward to the discussion. Yeah, so uh, yeah, knowing the organization, and we talked a little bit about it on our past episodes, you know, having a workforce that's distributed, you know, in different countries with different challenges, uh, different types of skill sets, et cetera, you know, could be a challenge for anyone. Um, so, you know, you come into this organization um, and then everything's kind of running status quo business as usual. We're all in our comfort zone providing, you know, services to our customers and then COVID-19 happens. So um, why don't you tell the, the, the audience a little bit about kind of your leadership challenge and those things that you have found challenging leading through this crisis? Sure. Um, so leading up to COVID, we were really posturing ourselves to get ready to have the biggest exercise in 30 years as a deterrence type exercise to show that we have a credible capability here in the army to, to secure NATO. Uh, and then all of a sudden we, you know, a lot of that work we're trying to do in the 
expeditionary tactical sphere just kind of stopped because of the COVID expansion and spread. And then, so then we had to shift our focus uh, and figure out what's important. And a lot of the stuff that seemed important, uh, like being able to send uh, tanks across Northern Europe weren't so important uh, in the grand scheme of things. From the chief of staff of the army on down, we all had to figure out how do we safeguard this thing we call the United States Army and care for our workforce so that uh, if called upon, we can we can use them. And so there was a balance of how do you retain enough capability so that uh, we are capable in this theater with the real center of gravity of protecting your people. But you can't just put people in bubble wrap. You know, you've got to you've got to still uh, bring out what you can for the organization. So where do you strike that balance? And we uh, we thought we were pretty good at at uh, you know being distributed until we had to really distribute from 20 nodes to like 250 nodes of, of individuals uh, having to telework. And that was a real challenge. Um, and uh, uh, we're still learning some lessons from it. Yeah, it's interesting. I hope that uh, answered the question. No, no, it didn't. Uh, and there's no right or wrong answer to these questions. That's the nice thing about having a podcast. We talk about whatever we sure. want. Uh, somebody will like it, right? That's right. Um, yeah, so, you know, just sharing with you, you know, one of the things uh, the last couple of weeks I've been sitting on like a leadership workshop um, to learn through um, how do we lead through crisis and what are some of those competencies that we have. And one of the leadership challenges that I had, which um, you could probably relate to, is, you know, when we got news of this virus and the numbers that were being reported were spiking and, you know, throughout Europe, you know, starting really in Italy for us. Um, and then as it hit in Germany where we live um, was really looking at our workforce and trying to keep that promise of, you know, ensuring that we care about them and their families. Um, and, you know, I, I think it might've been the first, you know, kind of one of the first ones to tell my workforce is hey, go home and telework. Go be with your family. Make sure that they're OK. Make sure that you're stocking up on things. But, um, you know, even that knee jerk reaction, you know, you saw kind of the follow on actions after that where you, you saw that there were some gaps in our technology. Um, it was putting strain on, you know, a lot of our IT infrastructure. Some of the processes that we thought were sound and in place just kind of weren't there. Um, and then, you know, there was just that fear. Um, and, you know, one of the things that you know, I even sent you an email uh, telling you that I appreciated the decisive action that you took um, to ensure that the workforce one was taken care of. And that was your primary focus, period. And then, you know, after a few weeks, it was OK. Now, how do we continue to keep things moving forward? Um, however, you weren't going to compromise on that very first promise that you made to us was just keeping us safe. So kind of tell me, you know how did you balance, you know, the mission and the people? And then, you know, um, what was your thought process through that? Well, first of all, you have to take it seriously, uh, deep down personally. And I personally had to quarantine. I didn't have to, um, there was debate back and forth early in the crisis. I was coming from Poland right before they said, stop movement. And some of the workforce was concerned. Um, and you could say, okay, that's not legit. People are just, it didn't really matter whether it was legit or not. It was what my workforce felt. So I personally self-isolated for 14 days just to make sure that people knew my concerns were their concerns. And so coming from a deep place from inside where you believe that they're important. 
and so that that was the the kernel of the thought that our workforce is important and they're not gonna they're not all gonna react the same way um so then you had to figure out what you know if that's what's really important you got to go and i'm a big fan of the covey time management quadrant you know is it important not important is it urgent not urgent in in looking at what's important um it was our workforce and so we were getting uh, the death of a thousand cuts of the tyranny of the urgent hmm. so how do i eliminate as much as the tyranny of the urgent to get at what's important and so we had to just choose not to do some things and take risk there because truly the workforce and the preservation of the workforce was essential and and it's not just an altruistic view it's really what the organization's for if we're here to deter any aggression and and safeguard nato and have confidence in our alliance that's not a short-term urgent thing that's a long-term sort of thing and so that was that was it you know and you just have to assume some things just aren't going to be as good as what you're accustomed to and it caused innovation right uh, we whether it was innovation of we're just not going to have that meeting because it doesn't yield what we thought it did or it's the innovation of we don't really need to do this anymore or the innovation of we need a new process or a new technology. That was pretty cool to see how, how the workforce adapted uh, when we got through those couple of weeks. Once they knew that it was important and we were going to put our, our actions behind what we said, then people got on board, I think, and it was pretty good. Yeah, it's interesting, too, because uh, I think once you get past that, you know, kind of the and I think you hit it on the head, too, because you have kind of that external pressures and, and threats kind of on a macro level. And then you come, you know, you start to break it down to kind of this mid tier level and then you have the micro level, which, you know, affects people in their homes and in their in immediate environment. Um, and yeah, and it's interesting that you said, you know, you, you rush back from Poland. I remember you getting the call and you said you're going to get home hella high water. And uh, I heard the story of you running through the airport to get on that plane to get back so you can, you know, show folks that, you know, I'm in this with you. We're in it together. And I think that we got that, especially those first, you know, 24 to, to you know, 72 hours. Uh, going into that that following week where it was kind of unknown unknowns. There wasn't a lot of information out there for folks to kind of chew on. Um, and then, you know, and, and we talked about the balance. So, you know, on the, the people side, you know, we talked through that. Then the mission side of it, um, you know, and for me personally, it's, it's about, you know, what's really mission essential um, right now in the moment with this going on and we working through all this information. So, so how do you, how did, how did you balance kind of that piece of it and your, your thought of saying what's mission essential mm -hmm. versus uh, kind of maybe mission enhancing um, or, or things mm -hmm. that are nice things that we probably should do, but these are the things that we have to do now. Yeah. Um, some of it's linked to the national strategy of things that just can't fail. And I won't get into the details of those, but those were uh, some tasks and some organizations that, you just have to do the best you can with safeguarding people and creating a safe environment for them to come to and look in the, the details of when they're at their home, are they safe? In transit, are they safe? And they come to a safe place. So you have to lead in the big and the small, right? You, I found myself having to get into the extreme details because those details matter to that person and that family. And, uh, and so we had to do that. Uh, and I had asked myself, is it something that I have to provide to and report back all the way up to the National Command Authority or not? 
Is it something we can just stop doing for 30, 60, 90 days and, and we can pick it back up or not? It's kind of like the thought of the brass balls, uh, glass balls and bouncy balls. Uh, I don't know if you've heard that. You know, That's the art of figuring out the thing you can throw up and it falls and it's a brass ball and it hits the ground. It's going to be a little bit more work to dig it out, mm-hmm. um, but, but it's okay. It's still going to be there. And then the glass ball, you cannot drop. Uh, it will shatter and you'll never get it back. And the bouncy ball, you might be able to, you'll have to chase it down the road and you might not ever get back to it because it's going to bounce away from you. So we had to, we did do a, a, a kind of a, a, a brass ball, glass ball, bouncy ball sort of look between the senior leaders to figure out what that, what those were. Cause I don't know everything about the organization. So battalion commanders, uh, the, the senior staff, we all had to talk about it. And, uh, one of those uh, brass balls was me coming into work because I was quarantined. So we really had to practice it from a very uh, individual and small team level all the way up to the biggest level at the organization. Yeah, I think you said something extremely important to kind of early on in your, your um, answer was creating that safe space, um, creating that holding environment for everyone to feel like, you know what, I'm, I'm being taken care of. Um, so that way they can later on, you know, continue the mission whenever um, they were called upon. And I think that gets lost a lot of times in in probably many organizations, um, you, know, uh, f- you know, full transparency. You know, I've been on all sides of uh, supporting DOD, whether it's a civilian soldier, contractor, et cetera. And I've even worked in the private sector for a short period of time in my life. But, um, yeah, so I think any organization or, or any um, work center team, et cetera, you're looking for that safe space to to operate in. And it's it's nice to see that, you know, folks above you that are making decisions are pulling in experts um, to help inform their decisions. Because one of the things that Steve and I talk a lot about on this show is like we can't do it alone. Um, and if you're a leader and you think you can yeah. do it alone, you're not going to succeed. You're not going to be effective. So it's, it's, it's good to hear. And I've been a part of some of those discussions with you. So, you know, full transparency to folks. But um, it, it's great to hear that, you know, creating that safe space and holding environment uh, was was critical in your decision making. Because um, it probably gets into my next question is, you know, as people are working through these challenges um, and these fears that they have, because there's genuine fear out there. Um, because they don't know where this virus is going to go or, you know, as they navigate the community, you know, they could pick it up on the way home and bring it to their families. Um, how how are you dealing with um, within your holding environment, you know, on the personal side? And how are you dealing with those fears? Because you are, you know, um, disconnected from your family right now because uh, they're back in the States and you're here in Europe. So how are you dealing with uh, some of that? Um. Well, first, you have to recognize uh, fear for what it is. Um, it is an emotion uh, that is triggered. It's not logical in a lot of places. And so as you talk to people, you just have to really realize that it, you may be, it may seem like we're having a logical discussion, but in that person's mind, you just don't know what's going on. I've been good at that, and I've been bad at that. Mm-hmm. I've been the, the giver of understanding and the recipient of understanding from others. Uh, in this job, and I think you've seen it firsthand uh, on good days and bads, and uh, just recognizing that, uh, that we're not always at our best. Me personally, 
I have good days and bad days. You know, I, I've missed my family. They're not here. But you have to find a way to figure out how you connect human to human, whether that's inside your family or that's outside with your workforce. It's the same innovation you have to have. I've learned to date my wife uh, online. You know, we have a theme date once a week. Uh, it's going to be a beach theme, I think, this Tuesday if she approves my uh, course of action. Yeah. Uh and uh, we have a wine drinking session on Saturday. Uh, so that's a personal innovation in my life that we've had to go through. I think it's a good microcosm for what you have to do with everybody, right? You just got to find, figure out the important things that you got to get through and innovate your way to do it. Um, sometimes the innovation is a new technology, which we've been very fortunate to get uh, the Army to get us some new technologies to help us innovate. Um and so the things that are these big programs have got to get to be personal to people in their small work groups, their small work centers, their individual lives. Otherwise, they're just they're They don't meet the mark. You know, it's. Um, and then I think uh, one of the other things is just helping others through the problem. Um, I did mention I'm a person of faith and um, my chaplain had some difficulties um, as she was integrating into the community. And to do uh, to, to work through that, we we planted a new church and have welcomed people who previously felt unwelcomed in our community and our in our religious support offices and, and things like that. And uh, it's been a you know out of something that was so negative, the COVID and all this other stuff, we turned it into something really positive that's meeting people's needs. Pretty proud of that. We took that innovation of a new thing that people needed in their lives. Um, it was a whole. And then we use innovative technologies to get it out to folks. And so what we're finding is um, religious support offices in general have increased uh, their reach uh, by about 15 uh, times, not percent, but 15 times over what we were able to reach in the past. So those types of things where you figure out what the people's needs are and you, you go all in to help um, has been real helpful of being selfless and helping others. Yeah, it's interesting. Um and, and thanks for sharing that is that uh, and, and you mentioned it is having that that connection with others. Right. And I think you get that by identifying and doing some self-reflection on what are those things that I'm going through because I'm not alone. Yeah. Right. So in I think today um, and talking to, you know, folks within my circle and my sphere of influence and understanding what their um, emotions that they're going through, you know, you get fear, um, you know, you have some folks going through grief. Um, insurmountable amounts of stress because, um, you know, maybe their family members that are stateside um, or, you know, anywhere in the world are going through some type of uh, uh, chaos. Um, but I, I just wanted to share, you know, something that we, we talked about on Friday. And when I say we, the organization, we did a, we did a brown bag on um, one of our platforms and we invited people from all over the place. But um, we were talking through things like, you know, places, um, that you can use as a sanctuary to work through some of uh, those emotions. What's your safe space that you go to? And, you know, a lot of folks said, you know, going to church and being, um, even if it's virtually, but being amongst people that um, one can relate or, you know, have maybe the same beliefs and values. Um, but it was a safe space where they can go and not be judged. You know, others talked about uh, maybe a corner in their room where they have a yoga mat and they can do some mindfulness um, and then get lost in their thoughts. And, you know, others have, you know, taken to planting things in their backyard, et cetera. Um, 
But I think it's important for folks to find a place or sanctuary for them to kind of disappear to you through this 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 uh, crisis. Um, and then another one that uh, one of our one of our uh, teammates, uh, Dr. Carter, mentioned was purpose. You know, he was talking about, you know, through this, he has found what his purpose is. Um, and I think, uh, you know, for you and I and you, could, you can jump in and disagree if, if you don't feel this way. But, you know, for us, I think our purpose and we made a decision long ago going into the military was to serve, you know, serve those in our sphere of influence, serve our nation, serve our country and our community. Um, and through that, um, you know, you start to find, you know, what competencies um, are required as a leader. Um, you know, for me, it would, I would say probably empathy is probably the highest, um, you know, integrity, um, you know, intellectual horsepower to work through some complex problems like this. Um, but, you know, what, what are some of those, uh, you know, things that you think folks out there might need or things that you have found useful for yourself um, through this to to probably implement now in their new normal, you know, whether it's a safe place or, you know, finding purpose or reading books or whatever the case may be. Well, I think first uh, your comments on purpose are very powerful. I was uh, reading, I think, the New England Journal of Medicine or maybe it was the Journal of American Medicine. They were saying people who lack purpose and, and feel like they're just drifting is as dangerous uh, for your health is smoking a pack of cigarettes a day, something like that. I don't know the science behind it, but they came to that conclusion. I assume it was a, a pretty good journal. It wasn't like, uh, you know, mad magazine or something. They'd come to some pretty good conclusions. And so what is that purpose? And, and so I tried to set a climate here where we knew what our purpose is collectively, but that doesn't always translate down to the individual. And so there's, there's a selflessness, I think, about what we do that you mentioned that helps with that. Um, the second is we got to find a way to be active, uh, both mentally and physically. I'm not saying that people need to be marathon runners. Good golly, I'm not a marathon runner, but but some sort of physical activity to help get the, the body moving and burn off some of that stress and keeping the mind engaged. And that, that being engaged with your mind could be as easy as, well, it sounds easy, but it probably isn't teaching your children when you have to homeschool them to, to work through their problems uh, with the new type of math that we didn't learn growing up and, and knowing it well enough to teach them. Or it could be reading a new journal or some professional reading or reading about faith or about mindfulness or um, meditating, um, those sorts of things to help spirit, mind, body all have an outlet. Um, those are very, very important. And that's part of our, uh, what the army calls our, you know, total comprehensive fitness, uh, that we look for. Um, and there's a lot of truth to it. Um, we just kind of maybe paid a little lip service depending on what organization you're in, but we're seeing it, uh, big time with this, uh, with the self-isolation, all that. Yeah. So one of the things that I talk about a lot is, um, you know, working through change with, with individuals. Right. And, um, you know, there's this, this model out there that, you know, I've kind of refined to, to be able to, you know, show folks is you have levels of disequilibrium or chaos. Right. And then over time, you know, my, my X axis, you know, it, it talks about, um, over time, you know, as things are introduced in our, to our lives, um, depending on our experience, skill sets, et cetera, 
you know, it might jump up into a danger area, but come right back down because I've dealt with something like this before. And it's just like, like a menial task or, or situation. And I, you know, I can stay within my comfort zone, my status quo. Right. Um, but things like this, um, and I also use some other references, uh, or, or vignettes to say, like, if I'm a new father or, you know, like the Syrian crisis or whatever the case may be, it might push me into a danger area. And if I'm stuck in that danger area for too long, I'm going to do three things. One is fight, flee or freeze. Um, and you know, kind of what we're talking about, though, is how do we pull ourselves and how do we pull others out of that danger area so they can now learn from that? Um, and then ultimately to increase the status quo over time, because uh, if it were to happen again, you can be like, hey, I, my experience was is, you know, I went out there and I started running or walking, you know, couch to 5K type things or, um, you know, I, I took up mindfulness or I took up reading, journaling, scrapbooking, um, podcasting, right? what we're doing today. But I always say that, you know, with leadership and you can disagree with me uh, if you do great jump in. But I think leadership is about putting people in the unavoidable path of learning. Um, so that way we can learn from situations over time to increase the status quo across the board. Um, and our comfort level, you know, cause me and Steve, we, st- we started talking about COVID being our new normal, right? But this was almost two months ago. This is our normal now. Um, and yeah, so I, I don't know what your thoughts are on that, but you know, I think it gets to back to what you were saying though, is like figuring out how to keep the mind active um, through all this, t- you know, through this crisis and, and chaos, but also that physical activity um, and maybe just trying new things that we never tried before. Um, um, so, yeah. So what are your thoughts on that? You know? Well, I'm definitely a believer that you have to continue to grow throughout your, your life and your career uh, and learn new things. Um, I think there's an art to it, though. Like, how do you using the crisis you have and the problems that you have and knowing where you want to take risk? Right. Because you don't want to throw somebody in the deep end of the pool necessarily if you can help it. Sometimes you have to. Right. Um and the army's real good at that, right? The, I was never a battalion commander until I was a battalion commander. And then, but but the army did give you some some mitigating factors. You had to be an S three running all the operations, and an executive officer running all the logistics and money and all that sort of stuff to have the tools so that when you got thrown in the deep end of the pool, you at least knew how to doggy paddle. You might not be an Olympic swimmer or something. So there's there's a there's a gradual how do you build the capabilities you're looking for uh in that person um and how how do you use community to to do to help you right uh when i was a battalion commander now as a brigade commander i have other peers i can call the 66 of my commander and i talk all the time and, and communally we, we share ideas right because there's a power in mental modeling i've never experienced coronavirus however my sergeant major uh, deployed to Liberia for Ebola. Mm-hmm. And so the mental models he had and the mental models I had with distributed work and preparing for our contingency plan and, um, and some of the other experiences I've had collectively, we came up with a really pretty good idea of what the model is we need to attack this problem from. And once you can build a mental model, the stress level comes down, right? Because mm-hmm. you're applying lessons from other things in a new way. And that's part of the intellectual part of what you want to teach the growth in 
how do you work through collective lessons from another thing that has some similarities that you can pull forward in this crisis you're dealing with now? So that's a that's a huge piece of of dealing with crisis and leading through change, mental modeling, but also understanding where your limits are. You've got to step away from it at some point. You know, I always like to say ketchup belongs on a hamburger. You'll never get you'll never catch up in your job. You've just got to figure mm-hmm. out what things you do and what things you don't do. So when you add those two things together, I think you or three things, I guess, community, mental modeling, and then just knowing your limits and when to walk away makes you better at what you're trying to accomplish. Yeah, I think you explained it a lot better than I do sometimes because I keep trying to tell people that as leaders, you get to a point when you're trying to deal with change, which effectively is dealing with loss. Um, and, and you're trying to make some type of change in the world or your workforce or, you know, even within your family, because I will tell you, I, I fail at that every day. Um, you know, my kids overpower me. But um, when you're trying to enact some change, you know, you bring in all the, the critical stakeholders and you start to get mo- you try to build momentum and inspire them to, to take this problem set and, and get after it. Um, but at some point as a leader, you have to figure out, you know, when have I reached my ceiling of effectiveness because I don't have the competencies um, and know that I have a shelf life as a leader uh, within this problem set. And you give the work back to the people. Right. Here's the world work that needs to happen. Here you go. I've got you going. And then you take a step back. And, um, yeah, you know, some folks that I talk to about that, we, we argue about it because not everyone agrees. Um, and then how do you measure um, effectiveness? Um, and then the, I think the other part of it too, is like, uh, Steve asked me on one of our previous episodes, episodes was like, or he didn't even ask me, he told me that most people that don't feel that most people don't have the self-awareness to know that they're not being effective. And most people don't just walk away from a job, um, which was fair. Um, but I also, you know, gave him a, I gave him a kind of, uh, framework in which, uh, you know, uh, we can relate to is, you know, being on like a football team, you know, if the football team or, um, you know, the resources that I've given you, um, I can't motivate and inspire them. They typically will fire the coach. They don't fire all the players, you know? Um, but I think just understanding your capacity, um, and whether or not you're being effective. I mean, it comes down to having a competency of self-awareness and I think you, you hit that on the head. Um, so, so where do you see this going, um, you know, from from your seat? Um, you know, what are some of the challenges you foresee maybe in the next, you know, you know, four to six months or so as we start to maybe loosen some restrictions, maybe a second wave? And I'm not asking you to be a doctor or a scientist. It's just from from your seat as a leader, you know, what is what do you foresee your leadership challenge being in the next couple months or so? I'll tell you, first thing is. <clears throat> getting back to what our center of gravity is, is our workforce, getting a really good understanding what high risk is and isn't, you know, the worst thing you can do is put somebody in a position where they have to choose between their profession and their health or their family and, and really understanding that with the experts. Uh, and some people may feel they're high risk, but they really aren't, or they might not feel that they are high risk, but they really are. And, and informing people and preventing them from doing something that with all the best intentions, not only could hurt them, but a swath of people. I think that's the biggest challenge. Uh, 
far in second place from that will mm-hmm. be how do we retain some of the traditions of the organization and the culture in this new thing? And I'll, I'll talk about yesterday. We just said goodbye uh, to Command Sergeant Major Doug Bram, uh, 28 years of service. Um, and, you know, we didn't have the big parade and the, the thing and, and uh, we didn't even uh, have a, you know, a traditional farewell or anything. But here's a man who's de- him and his family have, have sacrificed and dedicated a huge chunk of their lives to, to bettering the, the army. So you find a way, right? You, you, how do we innovate in those ways to retain what we need to retain to honor people's sacrifice and service and keep the organization running like it should and, uh, and moving forward? And I think that the third thing um, is how do we continue to improve our architecture in this theater where we set the theater uh we still have a mission. Uh, if we have to, we have to reinforce NATO and, and be able to do that with the right infrastructure. And we've got some infrastructure challenges. So how do we protect our workforce, knowing that all these external environmentals are out there while still doing what we need to do? And that, that calculus of where we have that balance with the risk mitigation measures, I think it's going to shift over time. But we still need to have that focus on the workforce that your safety is paramount. Mm-hmm. And here's how we're going to mitigate the risk. And we think this is acceptable and communicate that and have people believe that uh, it's not just words. We're really putting some effort behind it. That's going to be a challenge. Yeah, I think uh, I think I think on your second part is that, you know, through this, I think innovation has has really risen to the top. I think that folks have become very innovative in how we would normally do business, you know, um, because I was one of those folks that believed that. Hey, we had to put people on the road to go put a piece of hardware in 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 Iraq. Um, you know, for folks that aren't IT out there, right? You know, Iraq is where we put like a router or a switch in one of these big complex IT rooms that are very cold. Um, but uh, yeah, so but what I found is like when when folks are, are up against the wall, you know, they start pulling out their network, their power wheel of people to make things happen. You know, anything from Hey, let's let's configure it here and, and put it in the mail. And once it gets in the, the, the you know, to, to the point of destination, yeah, I'll walk you through it on the phone, video, et cetera, um, to, to get it online. And then we'll we'll do things remotely. So I think what we'll find, though, is coming out of this is that the way we used to do business um, is just that it's the way we used to do business. And we'll we'll get to a, a point of this is the new normal. Right. This is how we're going to get things done. Um and, and, and I'm excited for that, you know, because, um, you know, even with the telework piece and uh, and I did an episode on life after covid and I've had some discussions uh, with some folks on LinkedIn as well about. After this, you know, after we come out of covid and we've gone through this, you know, 100 percent telework and we've seen some things and some folks are more productive than others and some processes are more efficient than others, others over telework. But, you know, what needs to change even from an army perspective, but even academia, et cetera, with, with minimizing our infrastructure, maybe going to a, a more distributed model to give people, you know, less commute time on the road and, uh, and more time with their families, et cetera. So what are your thoughts on that? You know, how, how do we, how do we harness the innovation that's come out of this uh, and push that forward? Hopefully we've created a culture of, of, of people trusting enough to share those lessons 
I think it would be a real shame to go back to what we called normal before COVID because we did learn a lot of things. I think uh, first, so we got to get the lessons out there and, and figure out what's wheat versus chaff um, and figure out and basically what's implementable versus not. And, uh, you know, we spent a lot of money on real property. Uh, yeah. Do we need all that real property? Where's the, where's the return on investment on that? So it gets into once we got the lessons, what do we need to measure to figure it out? And so this is one of the books I made all the majors read and some of the senior staff measure what matters. It's on the secretary of the army's uh, reading list as well. Um, I didn't know that, but um, I've been making people do it for two years. And you know, if you're measuring the wrong things, you got blind spots and you need to have the sensors out there to figure out what is productivity, what is innovation, what is your cost benefit, uh, and that changes over time. And I think that we're one of those, you're right, uh, organizationally, we're at one of those inflection moments where if you know what the lesson is and what the metric you're going after is, you might be able to save on doing things differently. And I'm always been, I've always been a big fan of that. You know, I look at, you know, we have a 90 plus percent customer satisfaction rating when people have a problem and you balance that with uh, first call resolution on a problem, mm-hmm. make one phone call, you fix it right there on the spot. That's pretty good metric. Uh, that's industry standard, except when you get the voice over IP, we're like at 40%. Mm-hmm. So you got to deep dive into that and figure out what's the problem. And we have been, and and this gets into organizational change. And I've had a lot of resistance on that particular problem. But if you use that as a metaphor for where we go forward, I think that we're going to find that there's a whole lot of stuff out there, like the example you gave of the switch installs. Um, There was some other stuff with getting things fixed. We'd have to send people from Belgium to Germany and then quarantine for two weeks and then two weeks on the backside. And we had to figure out, hey, we got a DHL contract. We could do this easily and never cross a border. Hmm. It's, it's, It's leading in the small and the big things. And be able to figure out where the high value nugget there is, no matter how small, no matter how big, to implement that change. Yeah, it's, so it's going to be an art to it. I'm looking forward to it. I think you, I think, and that's a good point right there, where you said it's an art to it, because I think when we talk about change and we're talking about uh, you know voice over IP and we're getting away from more analog phones and we're, we're looking at you know how do we change business practices. Um, you know, one of the, the courses I was in not too long ago, maybe three weeks ago or so, was talking about really managing the loss because that means a process is going to change for someone. It might be that a job is going to change. Um, and that person that might be doing the job today might not be needed tomorrow. And it's how do you manage that loss while still meeting the needs of an organization, um, while still meeting the needs of that individual because maybe you can retrain, et cetera. Um, and, and and use that person somewhere else, right? We don't need you to do the day-to-day wrench turning, but we might need your mind to help us work through another problem because you know this system or transition or whatever the case may be. So, yeah, I'm excited for that. Um, e- even within our within my household is, you know, we've learned that um, we do not need to spend money on entertainment. Um, you know, even before COVID, I mean, we, I'm, I'm pretty frugal. So is my wife, but we, when we did spend money, um, you know, it would be mostly on like entertainment and things like that. Um, you know, or we go shopping or, or, or whatever the case may be, but I have found like, I don't miss it at all, at all. Um, I don't miss, uh, going to restaurants. That's just me. 
um, especially with two young kids because it's stress that I'm all in for, you know, ordering something in, getting on Netflix and we create like a movie night, you know, with the family and do board games and card games. And I get more fun out of that than having to leave the house. So maybe that's my introvertedness speaking. Um, but, you know, what, what about you? What are some things that you have found um, through this that you just don't miss from pre-COVID? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I thought I would miss sports a lot more, you know. Uh, my sergeant major, he's a New York Mets fan. I'm a, a Atlanta fan. Braves fan. And, uh, I was really looking forward to baseball. Baseball didn't happen. You know, you just move on to the next thing. There's a whole lot of stuff like that, that you can just make joy where you are and, and reconnect in, in other ways with things that you wouldn't have had time to experiment with. Yeah. Somebody told me the other day, uh, boredom is for the, un- uh, the for the uncreative mind. Right. I think that uh, as, as, as humans, we get pretty creative. We fill our time with with new things and stuff. But yeah. So. Sir, we're getting to the end of uh, of this episode. Um, um, are there any parting shots that you have for folks that are going through this crisis and some things that you might want to share with maybe some of our junior leaders that are listening on this? Because we got 50, you know, we got 50 countries tuning into this podcast. So. Um, from all walks of life, what are some things that uh, you might want to leave with them as, from a leadership perspective? There are problems everybody's going through. There's nobody who's got it all perfect and all figured out. Um, and so trying to keep that in mind when you get a response that you didn't expect is, is huge, especially now. Um, and I don't mean to minimize anybody's stress level or difficulty or struggle. There are some real things out there, people not having jobs and and that sort of stuff. Finding a way to give back to others, though, is a great way. If you can figure out uh, how you can make a difference locally in a small level, you know, a whole bunch of people doing that makes us a whole lot better for a whole lot of people. Uh, Waiting for the big thing to come down from the leader on high uh, will probably disappoint. So finding ways to lead in the big and the small, the individual through the organizational is, is really, um, this is a unique opportunity to get to connect that way uh, and, and really have the time to slow down and do that. One of the things I don't miss is the busy of the urgent. Uh, you know, I found myself on planes more than I found myself in the meetings or in cars. And to take that extra time, whatever it is that you were doing that you're not doing, and see if there's a way that you can just make your world better in a small way. Um, figuring out uh, the impact you can have near term versus long term, and one's not better than the other, they're just different, is huge too. So I look at the big versus small leadership tasks and decisions as kind of the horizontal or the vertical view of leadership. And then that near term versus long term is the horizontal view. And then cut out the urgent as much as you can and get to what's important, but not urgent. Uh, and some you can't. And those are just uh, just fun to me. Uh, I just have enjoyed the process of doing that uh, because we would not have been able to communicate to people how much we care about them if we stayed in the urgent. And are there consequences for getting out of the urgent? Sure. Are they manageable? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so just it's OK to take risk. And um, yeah. And then we just really look forward to everybody staying safe, no matter what mode you're in of working, 
um, and retain that level of safety and, and um, confidence uh, is where we're going to stay. Cool. I really appreciate the opportunity to join you. No, I look forward to the next time. Yeah. Thanks for uh, coming on board. And uh, certainly, you know, I extend the invitation anytime you want to come on and maybe if you have like, you know, a book that you read and you really want to talk about a leadership concept, you know, really the, the, idea of this platform was to share as many leadership experiences as possible with a with a wide mass. Um, so there's no no one person out there that has leadership figured out. Um, if that was the case, we wouldn't have any problems in the world. So, um, yeah, I want to thank, uh, you know, Colonel Neil Katad for coming on line with us today. And for if you're a first time listener, thank you for listening. Um, in the future, you can find all of our um, podcasts um, out there on all of the major podcast outlets, you know, Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, etc., um, and you can also find us at leadershipistricky.com. Um, so, yeah. So, again, sir, thanks. I appreciate it. Um, and, uh, yeah, I just want to say goodbye to the audience and goodbye to our guest.